My name is Paul Riley, also known as Political Paul, and this is The Riley Rant, a weekly podcast where we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. Let's rant. Thank you for tuning in to the 14th official episode of The Riley Rant. As was noted in the intro, we discuss all things political, professional, and personal. And this week, I wanted to touch on something personal. Last week, if you've been following us, you know that I had the privilege of having Caroline Kitchener come on the show. She just released a book entitled Postgrad, Five Women in Their First Year Out of College. And during our conversation, we unearthed something that I feel many people are going through. Uh, but something that we don't talk about or discuss enough. And that's the topic of loneliness. If you had an opportunity to view the episode, and, and please do so if you haven't, you'll remember how Caroline's boyfriend Robert hopped onto the episode and noted how tough it was for him a year out of college to make new friends. So much so that he clung to his college friends, and he even came back to campus, took a job on our mock trial team, to get closer to the community that he loved and cherished. For many, you graduate from college, and even if you didn't attend college, you graduate from high school, and then you're thrown into the real world. Life hits you hard, and your 20s are a series of ups and downs, of highs and lows. And this was true for Caroline, someone who seemed to have it all a newly published book that was getting buzzed across many platforms and how she grappled with the imposter syndrome as she thought about writing her book and executing on this goal and this dream that she had for herself at a young age of becoming a writer. At work, I attended a workshop with one of our leaders who works on executive development and in our session, he even talked about how our most senior and most successful leaders at the company still struggle with insecurities around their success and around determining if they're doing a good job as a leader. I'll also never forget a speech I heard uh, in high school when I attended the Student Diversity Leadership Conference. And the woman speaking posed a very interesting question around President Obama. She notes, you know, I wonder if it ever gets lonely for him at the top. All of these anecdotes and data points reveal to me that people from all walks of life, from all levels of the hierarchy, are oftentimes dealing with the same issues around insecurity, around uncertainty, doubt, loneliness, endless comparison that leads to nothing more than heartache, frustration, and anxiety. And so with this episode, I want to share some wisdom that I've gathered and collected from around the web in hopes that we can all begin to address this topic of loneliness, acknowledge it when it does potentially appear in our own lives, and empower each other to seek counseling, whether with friends or with professionals, to ensure that we are taking care of ourselves, because self-care is so important. Self-love is so important, and if we're not comfortable enough to create spaces where we can allow people to be vulnerable and authentic, then we're doing each other a huge disservice in allowing us to realize our true potential. And so definitely want to spend this episode just giving you three pieces of advice, three nuggets that have resonated with me as I've thought about the topic of loneliness and how we can grapple with and acknowledge this in our day-to-day. And the first thing you have to realize is that 
you are not alone in feeling alone. That there are other people who are going through maybe not the same level or in the same way, but that are going through feelings of loneliness and grappling with these issues every day. And so I'll never forget personally when I made the move from the East Coast to San Francisco, I could not have imagined how big of a deal this was until I began checking out research that noted that people rarely move more than 50 miles from their hometown. So the idea of moving over 3,000 miles was a significant move that I don't think I was entirely prepared for. At that time, it felt like such a great idea on paper. I would get to move to California. I would go to the beaches. At that time, I thought SF was just like LA, but I was I was really wrong about that, that fact. I was going to be able to rent my first apartment before realizing that SF's housing prices meant that roommates were the norm and would be for many years to come. I would be able to work in a full-time job, and I would have this sense of independence. But when I landed on the tarmac with two suitcases and my book bag, it began to sink in that this wasn't just a summer trip or a vacation, but this was going to be my new normal. And though I had a few friends who were also moving to San Francisco with me, I cannot describe the feelings of nervousness and fear that overcame me my very first weekend where I didn't know a soul, where I ate many meals alone for the first two to three weeks, and where I tried to adapt to a city and culture uh, that was so different from the Northeast. But beyond my own personal story, and I know that many of you listening probably have your own stories of taking risk and, and feeling lonely, but there's also research that confirms that these feelings are prevalent particularly with men uh, age 20 to 40. And this has actually been a well-documented issue in Britain, of all places, which has been labeled as one of the loneliest countries in the European Union. And Porna Bell, executive editor of the Huffington Post in the United Kingdom, she touches on this topic of loneliness, particularly in the male population in Britain. And she leverages the expertise and the knowledge of Lorna Fraser who is the spokesperson for a charity called the Samaritans that's really taken off in Britain. And the Samaritans is a charity and an organization where volunteers will come together and provide 24-hour counseling and support for people who want to talk. And so any time of the day someone can talk um, about an issue they're dealing with, they can go as deep as they want, they can guide the conversation. And it's a way for people to have these conversations that they may not be having with others and, and having these conversations that are so important in helping people to grapple with highs and lows that can often impact and affect us throughout our lives. But Lorna Frazier, the spokesperson for the charity, she notes in this article that they've actually commissioned social scientists to look at men because they found that they were an extremely vulnerable group, uh, that they were three times more likely to take their own life. And she notes that we know that men struggle to talk about things more than women do. And one of the key things is that women tend to make use of friendships in a completely different way to men. Women will get together with girlfriends, whether that's an individual or a group, whether it's a problem at work with their children or their partner, they will use that friendship to talk about it and work through it. We know men tend not to do that. It's a cliche, but men will meet with their peers and talk about sports, but not things that are issues for them. And this is what Lorna Frazier sort of found and and studies that they've been conducting and in anecdotes that she's um, encountered and come across in her role, that men are not having these conversations. They're not diving deep. 
to compound the, the, this research and to, to double down on this belief that loneliness is running rampant, particularly in those younger demographics, YouGov and Movember. So Movember is a, an organization that raises awareness around men's health and mental health, and they also do the famous No Shave November initiative to fundraise around prostate cancer and, and other uh, issues. But YouGov partnered with Movember and did a survey that asked men how many friends, if any, outside of the home they have that they will feel comfortable discussing topics such as worries about finances or work or health. And the results were sort of shocking to them and, and got a lot of press in Britain because they found that over half of the men, so 51%, said they had two or fewer friends who they could talk to um, about work or finances or health. And what was even more staggering was that one out of eight men surveyed said they had no one outside of the home they could talk to um, about these issues. And so the major takeaway is that loneliness does exist, that it's uh, a real problem, and more importantly, that it occurs along a spectrum. And I think that the way in which we can identify where we are on this spectrum is by first acknowledging that these feelings and sentiments exist. Because I'm a strong believer that when you begin to state that you're feeling down or that you're feeling lonely, it provides you with an understanding of where you are and it potentially gets in front of uh, potential downfalls that can come from denial or from failure to admit that you feel alone, that you feel isolated, and that you feel alienated. And I want to be clear to say that acknowledging that you feel lonely is in no way, shape, or form a cure by any means, but I do believe that having those spaces, whether with friends or like they're doing in Britain with these organizations that would talk to people uh, who need it most, I think that those are important resources that we have to leverage and that we may not appreciate enough to help us grapple with uh, some of life's toughest and most difficult issues. So the first portion of this is realizing that you are not alone and feeling alone. But then the next thing that you have to be mindful of and be careful of is not believing everything that you see and read on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and even on LinkedIn. In last week's episode, Caroline talked about how she unplugged from social media. And I've also seen many friends on Facebook mention how they're deactivating their account for a few weeks to really spend time away from social media and the constant comparison and the constant posting and updates. And in college, I'll never forget, you know, for some people during the time we were writing our thesis, it got so bad that they had to download software and plugins that would lock them out of their social media accounts and block them from accessing their social media accounts for 24 hours at a time. But when we use social media, we often subconsciously internalize all of the updates that are being thrown at us. And oftentimes, these updates are joyous celebrations. So you have a new job on the post here. You have an engagement post over here. You have a selfie in some exotic beach location. And my favorite, you have those those famous updates where people are checking in at the airport and they have the map showing their, their final destination of where they're about to, to travel. And what's even more striking is that even when we do talk about our hardships on Facebook or Instagram, it's often after the fact and it's sometimes done in conjunction with one of these aforementioned good news posts. So for example, you'll see those posts where people are, you know, are being vulnerable and, and saying, you know, I struggled with X, Y, and Z and, and it took a lot of effort. But here's a photo of me completing X, Y, or Z task and me overcoming that. And so even when we do begin to acknowledge struggles, 
it's often done in relation to and in conjunction with those similar celebratory posts around how we overcame, how we're so much better after the situation, how we weathered the storm effectively. And I think that this is an even prevalent across people who are in their late 20s and 30s. So Adam Smiley Poswalski, he wrote a book called The Quarter Life Breakthrough, Invent Your Own Path, Find Meaningful Work, and Build a Life That Matters. And he talks about these very same issues that he encountered in his late 20s as he was watching his friends on Facebook and Instagram begin to climb the ladder. He notes, a friend of mine from college had already graduated from one of the top law schools in the country had a job at one of New York City's top corporate law firms, was making over $150,000 a year, and there he was on Instagram, traveling with his girlfriend in Peru. I was like, this guy, he's already got a law degree and an amazing job, he's getting engaged to a beautiful woman, I hate my job, I hate my life, and I can't even get a date on OkCupid, my life is ruined. Now, of course, he has a little bit of humor in that quote, But many of us see and begin to think these things as we scroll through our own news feeds. And this is not to say that we can't be happy for other people. This is not to say that we can't celebrate other people's success. And there are, in fact, many people who are extremely successful and also very happy. But the point is that we have to be mindful of the fact that people are oftentimes only going to show their best self under the best filter and oftentimes with the best captions. For example, when I moved to SF, I told you about how I was so afraid and nervous on that tarmac, but not long after landing, a couple days after, I posted a photo of me on a boat under the Golden Gate Bridge. And this may have led people to believe that I was having the time of my life, that everything was great, but the picture couldn't tell you that I wasn't scared out of my mind or unsure of the future or uncertain of the decision that I had just made to relocate to the other side of the country. And even to this day, there are times where I miss the East Coast. There are times where I question why I made the move. There are times where I wonder if this is where I'm supposed to be. And I don't hide from these truths. I don't try to silence them. I don't try to suppress these feelings or sentiments, because I believe that in acknowledging them, you can remain in tune with your emotions and your feelings, and it will allow you to be able to admit these things, that things aren't always perfect, that you sometimes question your decisions, which can be liberating because it may not cure or remove the sentiments entirely, but it places them on your radar as a data point to monitor and to grapple with as you navigate these ever-changing relationships, careers, and perspectives that will ultimately and inevitably change and morph and transform throughout your 20s and beyond. And so I love a quote by Ian McLaren uh, where he says, Be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And so that's what we have to be mindful of when we're looking at social media. is being careful of what we internalize, not believing everything that we read or see. Because, you know, folks can be genuinely happy and we can celebrate their successes. But we also have to realize that for some, there may be a side they're not showing. There may be struggles that we know nothing about. And so we have to be kind for we don't know what others are going through. And we also have to be careful not to compare ourselves because those comparisons may be based on realities that are not representative of that other person's actual experience or their actual feelings at the time. So again, we have to be careful about realizing that when dealing with loneliness, we're not alone, that there are others, whether friends or as the study showed in Britain, millions of men who, who feel alone. So understand that this is not unique to you and that you're not alone in your feelings of, of, of feeling alone. 
But then also being mindful of what you allow other people to tell you and, and not believing everything that you see. And lastly, I think we have to begin to develop a better understanding around mental health and how we stigmatize it. And I came across this uh, this funny article around why black millennials will be better parents. And I think that it's representative of not just black millennials, but other millennials as well. Uh, because in the article, it talks about how our generation is developing or starting to develop a more robust understanding of mental health and the resources available. And this is not to say that the stigma of mental health no longer exists, but what people are beginning to realize is that people are taking more of an open mind and an accepting stance towards seeking therapy and getting help with issues that they can't simply shake off or or, or sleep on, but that are, are more serious than that, that may require professional counseling and, and, and professional help. But as I said before, you know, this is not to say that we haven't completely destigmatized the idea of mental health. In the last episode, uh, when I was talking to Carolyn about mental health and how effortless perfection, this idea that we can do things and we're not struggling can cause people to to avoid that. So I'm well aware of the fact that, you know, for many people, it may be tough to grapple with getting help because of how much has been stigmatized in our communities. And even a good friend of mine who's currently preparing to pursue a PhD in psychology, she even notes in her studies and interactions that it's clear that even people of color and individuals more broadly, they they don't believe in seeing a therapist or getting counseling. And instead, they often say, take it to the Lord in prayer, pray on it. You haven't talked to the Lord about this for him to help you, you get through that. And I think that many people are realizing that, yes, you can be religious you can be spiritual, you can be deeply rooted in your faith, but you can also realize the value and the importance of tapping into resources that may help you to deal with life's ups and downs and struggles that a counselor or therapist may help you to articulate and to address. I've also experienced, and I think that many people will, the beauty in having friends to discuss these issues with. During the last two weekends, you know, I had this big plan of going out to the club But on two separate occasions, uh, we actually never made it out to the club. And we actually spent time sitting around the table talking about life and about our careers and about dating. And it was a great way for us to realize and understand that some people are going through the exact same struggles and grappling with some of the very same questions. But we don't talk about them enough. And we aren't oftentimes afforded the opportunity to be vulnerable. And that's why the study in Britain is so huge. 51% of the men surveyed said they have two or fewer people that they can talk to um, about serious issues around finances, health, and work. And one out of eight of those men had no one. Even in the U.S., when we discuss fragile masculinity and how we have to put on this facade of not caring, of not crying, of not having emotions, of not being vulnerable, and how detrimental that is to not only psychological development, but to our ability to effectively articulate and grapple with issues that we may be dealing with in silence out of fear of looking weak or less than. We have to push past these things because there's so much hanging in the balance if we continue to remain in silence. But with Caroline's episode with the Huffington Post article, my anecdotes and the research done by the Samaritans, the organization I referred to earlier, YouGov in November, what they all reveal is that the stakes are too high to continue ignoring uh, these feelings and these sentiments, whether they be loneliness or feelings of depression or, or feelings of low self-esteem. 
And this is why we have to create spaces where we can have these conversations around loneliness, either with family, friends, or even outside help. And also the importance of being ever present and vigilant and mindful of people you may be overlooking every day who would find value in a simple hello or in a simple willingness on your behalf to actually engage with them beyond the superficial conversations around your weekend or the weather. It's time for us to dive deeper. It's time for us to acknowledge our feelings. It's time for us to stop pretending that these topics and issues don't exist. And it's time for us to start being better support systems for those around us who may secretly but desperately need our help the most. I hope that you will think about this, you know, going into the upcoming week, about how we grapple with issues of loneliness, issues of low self-esteem, issues of depression, how we're mindful of what we're internalizing and comparing ourselves to, and how we're trying to confidently have those conversations, whether with friends or with professionals who can better assist us in articulating and addressing some of the ups and downs that we experience in life. And I think that one last thing I will say is the importance of realizing that all of these things happen on a spectrum. You know, so there there is natural to have feelings of, of sadness, to potentially have feelings of loneliness, to have feelings of doubt, that this is normal, but that the, that articulating and addressing and acknowledging these feelings is going to be also beneficial, you know, so that if it does linger longer than you're used to or if it does begin to spiral into other areas of that you can have the confidence to acknowledge it but then the confidence to begin to realize how you yourself are going to tackle it in a way that's comfortable for you so it may not be necessarily going to see a professional it may be having a deep heart to heart with your friend or it may be calling a hotline to have those very real and authentic and genuine conversations that you may not be able to have with people in your immediate circle. This topic is so important, and I just hope and pray that we don't continue to allow our brothers and sisters and friends and coworkers and neighbors and colleagues to continue to struggle or grapple with these in silence. You have an obligation to be vigilant, to be mindful, to step outside of the concerns around yourself and to look at others who may be secretly dealing with things or who may be giving you warning signs that they want help or they want to engage, but that you may not be seeing because you're so focused on yourself and on your future and on what's next and what's best for you. So definitely something I hope we all will think about. I don't think we talk about this enough, and I hope that this episode will get us back on track to being the best friends, the best relatives, the best support system that we can be, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. Thanks again for tuning in to this, the 14th episode of The Riley Rant. Remember that if it's Sunday, it's time to rant. If it's Sunday, it's The Riley Rant. (laughs) 